Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 45 for our final pre-season uh, coverage for the 2009 season coming up. I am super excited. We have so much to talk about. So much has happened since we last talked to you, and there's actually some good news this time. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau. I'm looking at the official countdown on FormulaOne.com, and there are less than 10 hours, or 10, 10 hours, 10 hours, less, dude. less than 10 days. I, uh, I didn't I didn't know that uh, springing ahead was affecting us that much. Yeah, no, less than 10 days until Friday practice, and uh, we are getting, getting you know, very close to the season, and I'm, I'm excited, as excited as ever. Uh, I'm Jim Lau, if I didn't mention. You did. Um, oh, cre- I still am. And... Uh, I think the biggest the biggest development is a new team that's not going to be starting in 09, but in 2010, formerly called USF1, currently US Grand Prix Engineering. That is USGPE for the acronym challenged. Yes. Not as snappy a name as USF1. I kind of like USF1. It was a snappy name. But apparently due to copyright reasons and Bernie Ecclestone still being super controlling as he always is. As he always uh, is. That's not going to be USF1 will, will not stand. But uh, yeah, it's formed by Peter Windsor. Ken Anderson? Ken Anderson. Is it just the two of them? I believe so. For now, anyway. Um, And it looks really interesting. I mean, what you want to give us the rundown on that? Well, the basic story is this has been going on since... They've been talking about doing this since 2006. And uh, Peter Windsor, uh, most everyone uh, that follows F1 knows his name. He's been covering F1 for quite a while. But before that, he had... um, He was, uh, I believe... Racing manager, I forget the name. Technical director, Tec- and I think team principal. Was he ever team, he principal, team or just principal? But he was basically an operations manager uh, at Williams F1. Think, yeah. He uh, was involved with Ferrari for several years, and then he's worked as a journalist and uh, and continuing to, continuing to this day. And him and a man named Ken Anderson have put this together, put together this team. Uh, Ken Anderson uh, is uh, an American engineer, and he runs and operates a. Uh, uh, top of the line uh, wind tunnel in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is the headquarters of NASCAR racing, which you're going to see, I'm suspecting, a lot of NASCAR talent becoming Formula One talent. Which would be very interesting. Um, you know, so far we've only really seen the other way around F1 drivers going into NASCAR in various forms. And yes. Although Jeff Gordon did a good job driving uh, JPM's car back. Trade and paint. Know, yeah, that, that was in 2003. 2003, yeah. Yeah. We're digressing. Yes. So the new team, though, it's designed to be lean and mean. Obviously, they're not backed by a major manufacturer. Um, they keep referring to it as a skunk works operation, as kind of like, you know, the two, the two uh, ragtag guys banding together to. You know, defeat these giants and whatever, but hundred uh, employees, I believe, is the what their goal is. Yeah, and compared to seven hundred for a typical F one team. Yeah, we don't necessarily agree with sort of the, the Skunk Works moniker um, because it's not that they're just part of some larger organization that's kind of breaking off and doing their own thing, which is usually what Skunk Works is designed to mean. But right, um, but I do think having a small, efficient, you know, nimble uh, team that can just using all the new technology with that's out there, um, you know. When, and they don't have to have them backing of a major auto manufacturer. I do think that's a, a very cool model for an F1 team. And uh, USGPE is basically betting on the fact that that is the new model that eventually all the Formula 1 teams will have to kind of go this way. Um, and I'm not quite sure that's that's going to be the case. But uh, certainly I think it's a cool way to, uh, uh, you know, to set up an, a team. And we'll be very, very curious, you know, watching their progress as they develop the team during the course of 2009, to be ready to race in, in 2010. Absolutely. And the other thing that they argue is now they say, yeah, it sounds really small, and it is. However, 
you know, 100 employees are going to be the number of people that actually work under USGP proper. But they're going to have suppliers um, for, you know, various components in the car that they're going to work with and they're going to have relationships with that's going to bring the operating uh, number of people that are working for that team uh, up. So he says it's not going to be uh, literally 100 people doing everything. It's just going to be that it's 100 employees that actually work for the market. And they're going to try to make better use of suppliers and contracts and that kind of stuff to uh, you know to make the team work. The interesting thing about USGPE is Ken Anderson argues that uh, there is a lot of the technology that goes into Formula One actually comes out of the United States. Uh, one example I can give that I happen to know about is spark plugs. Uh, uh, the Formula One spark plugs are made by a company called Federal Mogul, and I believe they're made in Toledo or something like that, which is a you know city in Ohio. And um, that's hilarious. I didn't realize. Yeah, that. and uh, and uh, so he's claiming that it's not going to be hard to find talent in the states and uh, and uh, build a team in the states. So their goal is to have U.S. drivers, uh, um, uh, you know. American drivers, American engineers, they really want it to be an American team through and through, which I find exceedingly ironic since, uh, you know, uh, Peter Windsor is Australian. So I, I don't understand exactly why Peter Windsor has this desire to be so U.S. based. But it is, I mean, just fantastic for us. There's just no way, there's no two ways to deny it. Yeah, and it's interesting, sort of, to bring it back to a more local or personal level. I mean, we're based in the Detroit area and, you know, work in the automotive field and, there are a lot of engineers. I mean, there's a lot of talent and a lot of really smart people that have been working on really creative projects in various automotive companies that now are either laid off or they you know, took some kind of a retirement package. And I'm seeing actually a lot of um, small companies being formed, these little engineering companies that are maybe three or four guys, and each of them got you know, a, maybe a six-figure um, you know, paycheck to you know, buyout check to say, you know, hey, we can't afford you anymore, but here's your check. And these, severance, basically part of yeah, severance packages. And these guys, and, and we've seen a couple of sort of small, you know, these, again, sort of small, efficient, nimble companies that maybe they only do one or two parts of the of the development chain, but they do that, they, they just focus on doing one job well. And um, I've seen a lot of these sort of small companies that are, that are starting up, and I think it just goes to show there's no lack of, of talent. There's no lack of smart people and educated, you know, engineers and, uh, you know, drivers and everything else. Um, it's just kind of a matter of uh, an organization that is, forward-looking enough, forward-thinking enough to make use of, of talent in unexpected places or to, you know, look outside sort of the Formula One circles to hire engineers and to, and to do that. And I think basing the, thing, basing the team in the U.S. means they'll have to look outside of the usual circles and I think could come out better for it. Absolutely. And the other thing that I think might be hard for some of our listener, listeners to uh, wrap their heads around, uh, NASCAR, for uh, what it is, you know, it's not a technology-driven sport. Everyone knows that. We're not going to argue that here. However, the NASCAR engineers and the NASCAR teams that uh, put these cars out are extremely talented and extremely clever. And the amount of performance they can get out of carburetors, yeah, the amount of performance they can get out of a truck rear suspension, the rear suspension... Uh, in a NASCAR car is based off of a Ford truck from the 60s. Yeah. I mean, if you think about that and you think of what they can do with that base technology, it's yeah. really quite impressive. And 
Uh, I've I've talked to some people that are involved in NASCAR. They're all huge Formula One fans. Yeah. I mean, for them, racing is racing, and I think uh, I'm almost certain there's going to be some NASCAR people getting into this. And I all I'm saying is I want to encourage uh, encourage all the uh, listeners uh, that aren't from the states to give these guys a fair shot. These are these guys are not going to be hillbillies. These are very very smart people. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to this for, for that aspect alone. And the second thing I think is interesting that just goes to what you were talking about in terms of uh, the economic downturn and how it's really hit Detroit very hard is that, you know, the Formula One team has seen a very clear indication of that from Honda and just from, you know, the tracks doing down that the world economy is really collapsing. And this kind of shows – this kind of shows uh, – how we can find solutions to that problem and keep going as a sport and growing as a sport. And I think it's uh, serendipitous that the timing is working out the way it is. In fact, we were worried about having 18 cars for 2009, and we'll get to that later. We are going to have 20, and not only that, we're going to have 22 in 2010. Yeah, and it's interesting, in, in Peter Windsor's first blog post, which unfortunately is no longer available because with the name change, I guess the, the US GPE is changing around their website and all that, and so you can't actually, we can't get at it for now, which is weird, but um, he talked about, you know, this plan was in the works well before this recession started, and it's it's kind of, whether it's good fortune or just, you know, strange, just the way things worked out, now his business plan makes the most sense out of the way all these teams are working, you know. I mean, McLaren's, you know, for having the Paragon Technology Center and for having all the huge, crazy, ridiculous motorhomes that they take around to all these events and all that, you know, I'm sure at the time that looked like that was the best way to take care of their sponsors and take care of the VIPs and all these things. And, and yeah, that I'm sure that, you know, they made financial sense to do those things. And those things just probably don't make sense anymore with the way budgets are and the, and the way cost cutting is and especially being tied to mercedes being a you know global automaker um so that you know they not that mclaren mercedes is all of a sudden going to turn into a small little skunk works 100 person operation but they may be looking at um you know what what usgpe is able to do with the resources they've got and sort of you know, wish they had those options to sort of scale back on right. what they do in house versus what they contract out versus how many people they ha- you know are on payroll and that kind of thing. Um, it's so it, it should be really interesting. It's almost like the the climate changed and ends up suiting the U.S. team more. And uh, we'll I mean we'll just have to see as as that goes on. And like like we said, there's going to be developing the car, testing the car through 2009 um, to be on the grid in 2010. Yep. Um, but a new addition to the grid for or sort of for 2009. To get uh, to, to change uh, topic a little bit here, um, the formerly known as the Honda team is now Braun Grand Prix, Braun GP. Absolutely, which uh, is fantastic. I, I have to give Honda credit. Uh, I have to give Ross Braun credit, Nick Fry credit. Uh, uh, Honda was very, very uh, generous to, despite the announcement they made, they were flexible. They worked with Ross Braun and Nick Fry. They extended the deadline of finding a buyer for the team by a month to give them more time. And uh, as a result, uh, Ross Braun was able to get funds together to buy the team himself. Yes. And the impressive thing about it was is they were developing this new car the entire time throughout all this disturbance since, I think it was December 12th, I think it was my birthday that this happened, um, that they were able to uh, keep the whole team operating, keep things going, and now come out with a <laughs> 
a really fast car. And what we did, when we talked in 2008, we said, give Ross Braun a year. Wait till 29. That's when he's really going to show his talents. And it's definitely early, but it's impressive. Yeah, well, so far, to just in case you haven't kept up on it, and uh, we, we've been trying to, um, Rubens Barrichello and Jensen Button are still going to be the drivers um, of, you know, carried over from last year. So that's... that's Which, like, mm, I have to take a little bit of issue with that. But okay. We, you would, yeah, okay. Um, but what's interesting about this, this scenario, like you said, the c- continued development on the car, early on in 2008, Honda realized their car was a stinker. You know, they, they, tried, they tried what they could and, and they hadn't, didn't have the right approach. Um, but... So they started developing this year's car early on in the season in 2008 with Ross Brown, with the new team in place. So arguably the, the Brown GP car has, has, is one of the longer development cycles because they started earlier in the year because they started, they, you know, 2008 was like a throwaway for Honda. Right. So. And 07 wasn't good either. I mean, yeah. this was, this was a long time coming. So. Which is why Braun was there in the first place. Yes. So. It's it's again sort of strange how the, the the market has come to you know I think suit Braun GP pretty well because now that they're no longer part of Honda they're going to have Mercedes engines and obviously there's a lot of the same people and, and you know the infrastructure is still going to be carried yeah, over from they Honda. They worked hard to keep that the existing team intact. Yes, and uh, and and so they actually are coming out as some of the fastest, some of the top times. I mean, Ruben has you know at the last you know tests in Spain and all that have had you know topping the time charts and it's it's testing so you never know who's on long runs and durability and tire testing and fuel or if the and ballast weight is in all these all different things kind of yeah so we can't go and you know start tipping them for for wins in the you know in the first couple of races but i but think we're it, tipping them for wins the first i think game. it's clear that they'll be fighting <laughs> fighting there you know that they'll be up front that this is not going to be you know like a force india that's yeah they're there and they're holding up the back and they're doing their thing but it, it really looks like so far anyway that you know they will be Fighting, you know, up at the front of the grid, and uh, I think that'll—I think that was terrific. Um, and the people they might be fighting are the Renaults, which yeah. is interesting to see. I—I I have to take issue though. I, I, why did they keep Rubens in the car? Well, as a brand new team, don't they want a driver with plenty of experience? Who is—I mean, first of all, he knows Ross Braun, you know, very well from the Ferrari days. So the two, I'm sure, know how to work together really well and have that sort of driver engineer or I guess driver technical director kind of feedback. Um, and he's, I'm sure Rubens is valuable for, for, the, for that kind of testing. Um, and he's been fast lately. I mean, was it really just – I mean, he's had some poor performance. Can we say that's all down to the driver in, in, in his, his Honda well, days? Well, quite a bit of it. I mean, you, you and I both joked about how it took him 18 months to learn how to left foot brake. Um, yeah, but he's got it now. He's <laughs> – He's what, thirty nine or something like that? He's kind of old school. He's thirty nine. He looks like he's sixty, and you have. I, I, I'm just. I guess as much as anything, I was really looking forward to seeing Bruno Senna in the car, and Bruno Senna is now off. Uh, looks like he's going to be racing uh, in the German Touring Car Championship, or is it European Touring Car? He's in DTMs or something. I don't know. He, he's off doing sports cars of some kind mm-hmm. uh, for a year with Mercedes. And uh, Rubens is still in the car, and I, they have Jensen Button. Jensen Button isn't a greenhorn. You know what I mean? He knows his way around the car. He's been in the car for quite a while now. And I, I think Rubens could have and should have settled into more of a testing kind of role, uh, you know, consulting, testing kind of role. I'm sure he knows how to sort out a car really well. And it's cool that he's been fast, but when it comes to actually race day, race distance stuff, I'm just not so sure. Yeah. And I, I've read some of the comments on our Facebook page, and I, I, I see where you're coming from. Uh, James Payne specifically, uh, I, I see where you're coming from, I understand. But uh, 
I just, I just, I disagree. I, I think, I think Bear Keller should be out of the car. Well, we'll see. I hope he proves me wrong. Well, maybe if he can provide support and let Jensen go on and and be main driver, and then you know Rubens helps to develop the car and provide support and all that, or maybe maybe Rubens is there for a year, gets to have his proper, you know, maybe he announces I'm retiring at the end of the year. He gets his whole sort of victory kind of, you know. Not victory lap, but, you know, goes around and sort of says his farewells to the different tracks and especially at home in Brazil and all that. And then next year they get the younger, hungrier Bruno Senna in or, you know, whoever else is is, is hot and on the market then. I mean, I, I don't see it as a bad thing. I think with so much transition with the team, um, I know they're trying to keep the core guys together, but, you know, there's got to be a lot of the sort of the Honda influence and, and different, uh, you know, personnel changes and all that that uh, I think keeping the drivers consistent as well as keeping, you know, Barrichello, who's at least experienced, I don't, I don't really see that as a bad thing. And yeah. uh, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll see how it works out. And if, if, if Barrichello just sucks and crashes into people and has issues, then I, but he'll I just, be totally I just vindicated. Have, I just have images of Rubens Barrichello having trouble opening email because he just he hasn't figured out computers yet, these newfangled things. And, <laughs> and the, I just have this picture of him holding a blackberry like it could, you know, you know, sting him. You know what I mean? Like, I, he's old, and he has opened himself up to me berating him as someone who's old all year by keeping this job. So if he's willing to take that risk, that's fine, and I hope he does well. Yes, well, I, I'd like to see Braun GP do well. I think it's uh, it's it's a cool it, – it's, it's good to see – you know that's sort of separate from all the money and the power and these you know boardroom deals and all these things that happen. What really seems like it came out in this one is that like you know the guys that ran Honda F1 and specifically Ross Braun had the opportunity to like hey this we can buy this out we can make this work and we can go racing and that at the end of the day that's what they've been able to do and I think I think that's great that you know they took you know, what was potentially a, a really bad financial situation and the Honda manufacturing pulling out and all that, and they were able to, you know, come back from that. And the fact that their car is so fast already, I think is, is just really promising and hopeful. So I'm, I'm excited yeah. to see how that works. And look, I mean, you got to hand it to Ross Braun, their dedication too. I, I think it's impressive that here's a guy that got onto this team. It, it was terrible for an entire year, and and it looked like the team was going to collapse, and he's he, he didn't – Say well, I've had a good run, and I have a whole bunch of money, so I'm just going to retire and screw it. I mean, he 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 put in a lot of hours to get this thing going. I have a ton of respect for Ross Braun, and then I'm really looking forward to seeing the team do well. And I mean, you, with all these developments, we could have a very competitive grid this year, which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately, I think, if we if the new Aero changes and rule changes, like we talked about in the last episode, and like you know, there's plenty of information out about that. But if if those deliver on the promise of better passing and close racing and all that, as well as having uh, another strong team right up there to compete with uh, with Renaults and the Toyotas and you know and Williams and so on, sort of the second string guys. Um, I you know that that's ultimately what could be best for for racing and just for watching these races and having you know enjoying it. Absolutely. Now. Uh this brings us this whole theme that we're talking about is kind of the the economy and what it's done, what's doing to the sport and how teams are reacting. Yeah, there's really no avoiding it, I guess. With what new the way team, things are? Right well, now, yeah. what's interesting is uh, there was an article in Racer Magazine uh, in the uh, March issue in the March issue called Free Radicals, trying to properly cite here, and they they did I thought a real nice job of just giving you some real quick bullet points of what's changing for 2009. Okay. 
to uh, give the fans an understanding of what's coming ahead. Uh, there was a whole lot of politics going on in the offseason this year. Some of it had started 2008 last year during the season. Um, but if you guys will humor me, I'm just going to run down the list of what's what changes are coming for 2009. Okay. Uh, Engine life is to be doubled. Each driver is to use a maximum of eight engines for the season plus four for testing. Thus, 20 engines per team for the entire season. So that's four races a year that these engines now have to last. Um, or I'm sorry, did I say that right? Four, four, uh, four uh, consecutive races. Four track, yeah, four, four races that they have to last now. Uh, the engine speed is now limited to 18,000 RPM instead of 19. Mm-hmm. No internal retuning of the engines. In, in uh, adjustment is limited to the trumpets and the injectors only. The trumpets are basically the intake, uh, the intake manifold. Uh, now here's an interesting one. The cost of engines to independent teams will be approximately fifty percent of two thousand eight prices. Yeah, that has been a big uh, point of contention between the independent teams and manufacturers. Is if you want to reduce costs, well, these engines are are, are, are are absolutely through the roof in terms of cost. So I, I found that fascinating. Unanimous, a unanimous agreement was reached on a list of proposed changes to the Renault engine for 2009. All other engines will remain unchanged. Comparative testing will not be necessary. That is interesting. Maybe we should look into more of that. If any of you guys know about what changes actually came with the Renault engine... Uh, you know that'd be interesting to see because they seem to really be catching up by the end of the season. Yeah, they were sort of the surprise kind of return of Alonso was at the end of the year. There yep, was absolutely. was really something. Yeah, and and here's another one: no in-season testing except during race weekend, during scheduled practice. No testing. Yeah, that's that's a big change. Yeah, and that I mean, is a lot of this is just you know the cost cutting and. To, it, it seems like as much as we don't like it for the development of the sport and the development of the technology, um, it's kind of like if, if we don't allow these teams to cut costs, then we'd see more going the way of Honda, which has luckily been able to be turned around. But yeah, like, more, you know, more of those type of circumstances. You know, more of those type of circumstances. I mean, just as a quick – I know just to break off of this for a second. Yeah, no problem. Um, I mean, Toyota um, – there's an article – there's a couple articles out there that say – they came. They were very close to pulling the plug on F1. You know, obviously Honda was one of their big rivals just because of being two main Japanese automakers yep. and all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even before that, Toyota was just looking at the money and looking at what they were spending on NASCAR and what they were getting out of it. What they were getting out of it, and you know how much money was really being invested, and just sort of wasn't really making sense. And actually, what saved it was that Panasonic, the team's partner and main sponsor, said they really wanted to be involved with the development, you know, the electronics and all that. And for Panasonic, I guess they were getting more out of it than Toyota. And I don't know, we, you know, we don't get the details on, on how much if Panasonic maybe stepped up their commitment or the, the money involved or whatever. Um, but it was, you know, basically Toyota just looked at the money and said, hey, we're losing a whole bunch of money. We're not really getting out of this, getting anything out of this. And it was sort of up to, uh, you know, their sponsor to keep them on board. And uh, hopefully, you know, with the cost cutting measures and all that, um, as much as we'd like to see the cars develop more throughout the season and all that, you know, we'd like to see there continue to be an F1 with a lot of teams in it. So absolutely, um, I'm sort of willing to take that one um, as, you know, for what it is, it's just a cost cutting measure. And yeah, we won't see the cars be significantly faster at the end of the seasons than, than they were at the beginning. But for the racing and the passing and all that, they may, that may not matter all that much. And perhaps it makes the race weekend itself more interesting. If different teams are out there trying out different wings and different setups, and Friday practice, if Friday practice is their only time to try a new wing out or to try some new development, 
you might see some more interesting results and things happening at Friday practice. Yeah, and so uh, that that actually could uh, increase the entertainment value. I, I think that's a good decision. Yeah, and the good news for us here in the U.S. is that uh, Friday practices are televised, although F1 practice sessions or test test sessions in Spain or wherever are not. So yep. right now we don't have any way of seeing except through you know photos on websites and that kind of stuff. But you know, video is so closely controlled by uh, FOM. You know, we don't get to see any of the testing or any of that stuff on TV. Um, but if they move that to Friday practices, then we'll be able to keep up with that a bit more, and uh, that, that's good for us here in the U.S. Yep, absolutely. So here's another one that is extremely fascinating based on the first thing we opened the show with. No wind tunnel exceeding 60% scale and 50 meters per second to be used after January 1st, 2009. Uh, 50 meters per second is roughly, uh, I don't know, it's it's... It's 3.6 kilometers an hour per meter per second. So I don't know what that is, 170 kilometers an hour. It's about 125 miles an hour. And 60% scale. It's 111.8 miles per hour. 111.8. 50 meters per second. I think that's wrong. That's what Google says. I don't know. I'm not so sure about that because the number I go with is about 2.21 miles per hour per meter per second. Well, anyway. Anyway. Uh, uh, but the... the it's 2.24, 2.236, one meter per second tomorrow. Yeah, how's that come to 111? Whatever. Uh, yeah, it's just over two. It, that works. Okay, it works. Okay, so that's 111 mile an hour wind tunnel. Moving is the, on. It's the, <laughs> the maximum speed anyway, uh, of wind tunnel that can be used now. One of USGPE's uh, uh, assets is a full-scale 180-mile-an-hour wind tunnel. So how is that going to work? Well, maybe they can turn down the fan a little bit. Uh, but they can't turn down the size. I mean, can you use can you use a 60%? I guess you could use a 60% model in a full-scale wind tunnel. Yeah, 180 would be 80.5 meters per second. Thank you for that. Yeah, so, <laughs> so which is, that's a lot. That, that's, that's more than 50, I'll tell yeah, you that. Yeah. Quite a bit more. Yeah, so, so it's a bit of a question there because that was one of their big assets, really, was that absolutely. they had this wind tunnel. Other teams would pay them to use this wind tunnel, and that would be part of the way they, you know, finance the team. And that may be changed out of the rules. Although, obviously, we need a little bit of clarification on that. Yeah, and then the next one also ties in a formula to balance between wind tunnel-based research against CFD, which is controlled fluid. Is it controlled? It's fluid dynamics, but it's basically so it's computational fluid dynamics. Computational fluid dynamics, which is basically modeling aerodynamics instead of physically testing it. Yeah. Um, and uh, as a quick note on that, I mean, you re- if you look at some of the sponsors of the cars, there's some obvious ones. You know, Ferrari, it's like, okay, Shell for their lubricants and fuel and all that. Mm-hmm. But then you see that AMD is a big sponsor of them. You're like, oh, that's processors. And a big p- part of that partnership is providing these really, really high-end, you know, cluster computers that can calculate, um, you know, CFD and calculate virtual wind tunnel testing and all that. And as I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's it's pretty obvious that um, I mean, if com- if computers could do a really really good job of predicting what's going to happen in a wind tunnel, all this business about using wind tunnel, wind tunnel time, and building models and all that would be a moot point because if you can do it all on a computer, um, then why bother building the real thing? Um, but with current technology, I mean, it's getting better all the time, but it's still so hard to really accurately know what's going to happen with you know real air flowing over real right. um, a Absolutely. real model, at least a scale model, if not a full size thing. 
So, you know, the teams are partnering. I think uh, Toyota's partnered with Dell and uh, Williams has uh, got Intel. Or I mean, they're, they're like, yep. they're all partnered with, you know, processing companies and, and you know, these high-tech companies that can help uh, because there's just a huge, a huge benefit there. I mean, to be able to avoid um, all building the models and the time schedules of, of wind tunnels and all that, especially with the new regulations, to be able to do all the, more of this stuff it, in the yeah, computer. Yeah, wind tunnel testing is extremely costly, and yeah. that, that's the point. The CFD is quite a bit cheaper. Yeah. But, again, the CFD isn't cheap, and that was another thing where uh, uh, the, the independent teams were struggling a bit. So that's, you know, because it wasn't do CFD instead of aerodynamics. It was doing both. Yeah. And it, you had to do CFD to figure out what to try in the wind tunnel. Yeah. So uh, another thing we got here, uh, team factory closure six weeks per year in accordance with local laws. And uh, race weekend manpower to be reduced by means of a number of measures, including sharing information on tires and fuel to eliminate the need for spotters. Formula One teams used to literally hire people, and their full-time job was to see what the other teams were doing in terms of tires and different things like that. And they're saying, if we all just agree to share the information, we don't need to have these people here. It'll save people money. And I'm sure the the guys are like the people that actually did it said, well, wait, wait a sec. But yeah, uh, again, it's the reality of the situation. It's downsizing. I mean, I don't know if that's going to be. Move to India to be done off scale, uh, off site, and yeah, and that in itself sounds like it's a pretty minor fuel, you know, or pretty minor cost savings when compared to everything else the teams spend money on. But it's those kind of things where you look at, you know, how smart is that really that right. Ferraris hired a guy to stop on right. to not spy on, but just see what McLaren's doing. McLaren hires a guy just to see what Ferrari's doing. It's like, come on, guys. <laughs> now here's here's my favorite one. Market research is being conducted to gauge public reaction to a number of new ideas including possible changes to qualifying and a proposal for the substitution of medals for points for the drivers. Proposals will be submitted to the FIA when the results of the market research are known. If you happen to be involved in any of this market research, please, please, please tell them that medals are a stupid idea. It's dumb, dumb, dumb. And uh, also this whole idea of um, changing the qualifying, I think it took years for them to find a qualifying format that works really well, and I think we have one. I don't see why, of all the things they want to change, that would be one of them. I don't see how that would save any money, and I don't see how they're going to improve the entertainment value because I think it's pretty darn good right now. Yeah, it's and it's one of those pretty pretty deep debates. You know, we've talked about in the past of should winning be worth. You know, how much more should winning be worth than coming second or coming third? Um, should coming fourth count for anything? You know, and it's it's really it's it's not a simple debate, but I really think the qualifying format we've got right now and the points format um, I think is I think is good. Um, and I, you know, nothing. There's no perfect solution. There's no one solution that's going to make everybody Actually, happy. I think I have a pretty darn good solution. It used to go ten points for first, six points for second, and then what? Four, three, two, one third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Okay. And uh, then they switched it to 10 points for first, 8 points per second, 6 points for third, six, 5, 4, five three, two, one, 3, 2, 1, for 8 people. Down to 8, yeah. How about 10 points for first, 7 points for second, and then the same as it was, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Split the difference. If 6 points was too much of a difference and 8 points isn't enough of one, at number 7 just seems to be standing out just all beautiful. I don't see what the problem is with that. Yeah. I mean, and they say, oh, well, we can't just change the points results. Why not? You just changed it to 10 and 8 a few years back. That's a lot better than giving medals out, gold, silver, and bronze medals for every race. That's stupid. That's abundantly stupid. Yeah, and especially for the the, the mid-pack teams and the lower ones, you know, like STR, you know, ended up getting a whole bunch of points. They wouldn't have gotten any medals, uh, you know. Yes, or, they would have. Well, they got what? Uh, yeah, Vettel. 
Vettel won a race. Yeah. They would have gotten a medal. I mean, okay, uh, uh, yeah, so they would have gotten one medal. But when these teams that can sort of just barely make it into the top ten or the top eight, um, or let alone the top six, you know, I think for them to come away with, you know, they get that result, but to come away with nothing in terms of, you know, points or medals or whatever, yeah. you know, I think it's better to keep all the, you know, 10 or 11 teams or maybe 12 teams interested and, and, and getting some kind of accomplishment to be able to show, you know, to go back to Renault or to go back to Toyota headquarters and say, hey, well, at least we got some points. You know, it's not a sort of this all or nothing with right, the podium right. or nothing. So I think having the points go back farther is valuable um, to keeping, you know, a good high number of teams sort of willing to pay the price of F1 to, yep. to compete and be part of it. So I think it's a good system, and I, I don't think <clears> – <throat> I mean, are, are they going to get a medal and a trophy? You know what I mean? When, yeah. when, if they make it to the podium? I, it, I don't I yeah. just think it's just – And I think it's flawed from so many Regarding the qualifying format, and actually Felipe Massa um, came out with a bunch of proposals, which is kind of random, I guess. I mean, you know, he – knows that the qualifying system because he's better. Why not replace trophies with beautiful But well, he was saying why not Friday practice was stupid and that not a lot of people went to it and, um, you know, why not just do all the testing on Friday and then, you know, or on Saturday and then qualify later on in the afternoon and then just do the racing on Sunday and whatever. It's going to have some different proposals. But, um, you know, I think depending on how the testing and everything works out, having Friday may become more valuable than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I agree, we didn't always watch the coverage of Friday practice, although it was a good chance to sort of catch up on, you know, news and updates in the F1 world, right. um, which is how our, our announcers cover it here. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, if there's more different exciting things happening on Friday, um, you know, depending if we can make it out to a race this year, which is hard with nothing in North America. Right. But, It'll um, involve a plane ticket. That's yeah. For sure. uh, you know, then... We'd, I'd like to go to Friday practice and see it, and uh, you know, and certainly see how that goes. But I think, well, yeah, at different levels, uh, if, uh, there's fans. There's some fans that will watch Friday practice as it is, yeah, or whatever. I mean, we would want to see it no matter what, yeah. And uh, but I, I think there is some value in, in saying it's like, well, what is more entertaining for everybody without diluting the the the, the sport that the real deep fans love. Uh, you know, you want to make it as entertaining as possible for as many days as possible. And I think for the track's sake, you want to try to have three days worth of entertainment. Yeah. But uh, I think so. And then as far as, I mean, the qualifying layout the way it is now, yes, it's confusing for some for people who are new to it, but it's been the same way for a while now. Um, and I think the knockout system works pretty well. I mean, it, you don't have the single flying lap where if you screw it up, then you're screwed for the whole time. You know, yep. it's more interesting for the fans because there's more cars on track over the course of the day. And yeah, yeah, there's some waste to it with, with burning off fuel and all that. But since they shortened the last one, that's getting better, you know. And I think maybe some little tweaks, but I think overall the, the, the format for qualifying we've got right now works quite well as well. So yep, it's sort of, if it ain't absolutely. broke, unless there's a lot of cost savings or, you know, better racing to be had out of it, Leave it the same as it is. So going into 2010 here a little bit, just we'll, we'll skim over it. That they're, they're working on uh, reducing the cost of engines to the independent teams even more. Uh, they want to use the same engines uh, through 2012. Uh, they're, talking about, uh, they're talking about commonizing transmissions, which I don't fully understand. Uh, they're uh, looking into uh, just some of the some of the different uh, they're calling them performance differentiators I, I don't think I said that right differentiators uh, and how they might homogenize some of the things and leave open to development some other things that makes me nervous uh, standardizing radio and telemetry systems during race weekends that makes perfect sense ban on tire warmers 
why not uh, ban on refueling? Interesting. And uh, possible reduction in race distance or re- or duration. So, and that I kind of go back and forth about. The, That's that, was, that was one of Massa's points. Was like, yo, make it shorter. These distances are too long. And I agree. There are some races where it's kind of like between the halfway and a two thirds point. Like people have gone through this there's like little pit point. stops. They're just kind of going around. You know, there's not always that much passing. There's definitely some races. You know, we practically or sometimes literally do fall asleep during that part where it's just. And like, if they do indeed ban the refueling, uh, you know. That might be a consequence of that, is they might have to shorten the race distance. Yeah, um, and but at the same time, there are some races where there's so much going on, and you just sort of wish it would go on for longer. I mean, I we we're both fans of endurance racing, of you know American Le Mans series, and of course 24 Hours of Le Mans, and, and some of these other uh, you know big races. And I think where the strategy it comes out a little, you know, there's it's part driver skill and just raw talent, it's part strategy and team preparation and everything else, and. Um, and I guess maybe it's just because we're used to it again, but I, I, I don't see a problem with the current race distance no. uh, overall. And it's, I guess it's quite a bit. I mean, it's shorter than Indy races. Yeah, if it was uh, over in an hour, it just I don't know. It wouldn't. I mean, it's hard to say if it would be any better. And uh, you know, it's just it's it's less less racing to watch. <laughs> Do you know that you know that uh, there are many NASCAR races that are over. Most of the NASCAR races are over three hours long. Yeah, and uh, I'm not saying that's what we we should be striving for. My point is. Is that uh, if you can improve the competition and if you can improve the passing, which they've been working on, I mean that's the ultimate goal, regardless of race distance. I don't think there's any reason to shorten the race distance. Yeah, um, again, make it a long, it, interesting race rather than a short. Absolutely, you know, yeah. And uh, uh, it's going to depend again if if they if they change the refueling regulations, then uh, you know that might, as a course, force shorter race distances, but. I don't know. I, I, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Um, some of these things make me nervous. Some of these things are encouraging. And uh, hopefully they will actually engage the fans a bit and see uh, and, uh, and make some right decisions. Oh, and, speaking of which, which just remind me, the other – I think one of the really interesting part of U.S. Grand Prix engineering is that they want to be the open and accessible Formula One team. Um, they've seen how it's done in NASCAR because obviously Ken Anderson, they've yep. got NASCAR ties and being Charlotte, North Carolina based and all that. They've seen how the NASCAR teams do it. And I think the NASCAR guys really get this right um, with engaging the fans. They say, yeah, well, our factory, obviously not every inch of the factory is going to be open to fans, but they'll have people will be able to, to, to go there and have tours and see, you know, talking about even like live, you know, like webcams to just see a car being prepared and see what goes on behind the scenes because there's so much of F1 that's really, really interesting that we just don't get to see as fans. Right. You know, we see the cars roll out of the transporter at the race at the racetrack and not a whole, you know, and sometimes maybe after the season there'll be some, some information about how it was developed or some different stuff. But I think part of really engaging the fans and making this interesting is to see what goes on in between races and what goes on in between, you know, the testing sessions and, and how these different developments came about and all that. And um, the U.S. team is really looking at being more accessible to the fans, which I think can only be good for the sport. I mean, I, I think that that's the kind of thing that a lot of people, you know, all around the world, whether it's U.S.-based or not, that a lot of people will really respond to is being able to see behind the curtain a little bit as to what goes on in these teams, and I think a lot of it is is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So there's a couple other uh, news items we want to talk about that uh, come up before the before the season starts. Um, McLaren and the testing so far is 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 off the pace, um, yep. which makes me sad as a, as a you know kind of a Hamilton fan. Um, they say they've identified the problem and are 
going to be able to rectify it in, in you know in time for Australia, which is of course what they would say, even if they had no idea what it yeah. was. You know, they're not going to say, mm-hmm. oh, well, we're screwed. Uh, oh, yep. So count us out for this year. It's interesting, and actually, and Felipe Massa um, says that the, the the pace of the Braun GP car um, is. They say we can't match that in time for Australia. You know, going in before this testing, Massa says uh, he says you know, um, well, I guess let me uh, just instead of mangling his quote, I'll just say right now we're not the fastest car on track, which I might have said before the tests here at Barcelona. We'll see how this works out in Australia. You know, basically they they expected they'd be the fastest, and uh, this Braun GP car really kind of hit them by surprise. Yep. Um, this this was last Friday, this is just a couple days ago, and there's there's all testing this week, and I'm sure we'll see different wing configurations and fuel loads and tires and everything else. But um, that will be interesting to see because um, there's certainly a, you know if times in the past in, in various motorsports where it's not the fastest guy, but the you know the best prepared team and most well rehearsed for pit stops and the most reliable and not stalling the car and not spinning. You know, there's there's so much, there's a lot more to it than raw speed, and uh, I think Ferrari really is going to have an advantage there with sort of the preparation and yep. you know professional team and all that. Um, but then again, if if Braun GP starts running away at the front of the grid for the Australian Grand Prix, that'd be pretty amazing too. Well, and you know Ross Braun cut his teeth at Ferrari too, so I mean he knows. He knows what's successful. He knows about the process. He knows about, you know, the the reliability aspects and the process aspects of getting the pit stops right and getting everything right and being prepared. So uh, I, that's not going to be something that's at a loss at Braun GP. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, but uh, if 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 you're ready to do so, Jim, uh, I'd really like to take a minute to uh, thank everybody that's been continuing the conversation on our Facebook page. Um, uh, just been it's been great to keep that going. Uh, we've been, you know, it, it it was we had a longer gap between episodes here than we wanted, but uh, both Jim and I have been very very busy. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, out of town quite a lot, and uh, uh, so we were unable to do it. But we are very excited for the race coming up in two weeks. Uh, we've got uh, some new features we're adding to the show. Um, some new announcements that are going to be coming in the next. Uh, uh, next few uh, events about the show and about what we're trying to do and uh, building upon what we want to get. Um, absolutely loving uh, the number of Facebook fans we have, 214 now. That's fantastic. Uh, keep them coming. We love having you guys come on here. Um, I wanted to thank specifically uh, uh, Matt Riley, uh, who responded to, uh, to uh, who commented on our website, uh complimenting the show thank you very much um uh, very happy to have you and uh also to justin lewis and uh again for commenting and uh everyone at facebook uh uh we have the f1 show has someone to root for in uh the melbourne race and we can root for justin levi uh, I hope it's not Levis. It's it would be Levi here in the states anyway. Justin Levi is going to be in a red orange car seventy eight in the Australian GT series prior to the GP at um, Albert Park. He's going to be in a Lotus Elise, one of the support races. Cool. Yes. So uh, everyone, everyone here on everyone here at the F one show can root for Justin. I know and we've got a lot of listeners in Australia. So if you're going to the race, root for look Justin. Root for our boy. Root for the red orange car seventy eight. I'm sure he's wicked quick, and uh, we we, we want to see him do well. And Justin, please tell us how you do. Tell us how you do. Send us some pictures. If you have an in car camera in the car, 
hook that up to the Facebook page. Tell us how you did, and we will report it to everyone and uh, and let you know. Because I'm I'm happy for you. I'm excited. As a former racer, I'm very jealous as well. And uh, and uh, so we're we're all rooting for you here. Absolutely. And as always. Um you know the Facebook page is a really great way to get in touch with us. Of course, we post um, every episode is, is is linked to right on uh, f1show.com. You can leave comments directly right there if you'd like. Um, we we read these and try to respond to them as much as we can. So we definitely appreciate the feedback from everyone. And uh, yeah, we've we've grown quite a bit in the off season here, and I'm ex- as excited as ever to uh, you know for for Australia. We'll be doing uh, you know the usual right after the race podcasting, getting something out for you guys. Yeah, what's, what's Australian can. to eat, though? I mean, the closest thing we have is Outback Steakhouse. Oh, we got to throw some really. shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> I mean, that's what we got. Or, okay, Australian that's, listeners. That's, like, that's meat and potatoes with Australian names. Yeah, kinda. fair enough. Well, um, I, I don't know. So, it, it, hey, any of all our Australian fans listening, what is a good classic Australian dish that we can have. We're trying they say, if they say Vegemite, then I'm just Oh yeah. <laughs> screw that. Not Vegemite. I mean, <laughs> what's what's Australian but not Vegemite? What's what's a good Australian meal to have? We're trying to have the cuisine the cuisine of the track, you know, the cuisine of the of the of the race. And, yes. uh, so that's what we want to do. And at the moment we're we're limited to Outback Steakhouse. So not brilliant. We'll, we'll need some help with that. Yes. And uh, just a couple other um, Little mentions. Um, the Skype voicemail thing never really worked out. We tried to have you know people be on the on the show, and I think we have, we had one person that made it work. But well, we had a couple, and um, we we definitely appreciate it here. Yeah, them. but uh, I think I think the best way if you want to have your voice heard on the show, um, there's so many easy ways to get your videos online now with with Vimeo and YouTube and everything else. Um, just you can uh, with YouTube. I know you can just go and record a short video if you've got a camera in your computer and upload it right there. So. Um, record We'd a love video. To see everyone's beautiful face. Post it on Facebook or put it on YouTube and send us a link. Um, feedback at f1show.com is probably the best email address to use, and we'd be happy to uh, to play that in. We've got ways we can get you get you on the show, and uh, you know hope we we really appreciate having people as as part of the conversation and not just uh, Robin and myself. And uh, yeah, I mean I've got some other articles to to cover. I mean it's basically um, McLaren. Trying to figure out why they're slow. They say they got an overall lack of downforce, and they're trying to work out, you know, the new car with the rule changes. Um, Michael Schumacher's for, uh, contract with Ferrari as a as a team advisor expires at the end of uh, at the end of '09, and they're talking about whether or not he's going to be kept on as advisor or go off and do something else or or throw him back in the race seat. Yeah. See if he's hungry enough for it again. Yeah, and. Uh, and it was interesting, I guess, after because uh, Hamilton had a had a crash in Barcelona, and uh, and Michael Schumacher uh, hopped out, hopped out of his Alpha rent, uh, rental car and um, on the internal service road to you know just to watch the car, see what was going on on it, and as as they lifted it off with uh, the recovery vehicle. So as team advisor, I guess he was you know driving around in the infield in his rental car, <laughs> and uh, when Lewis Hamilton had a crash, he sort of you know hustled over there to take a look at oh, what, exactly what are they doing with that car. So it's. I mean, sort of a funny job for Michael Schumacher to be doing, but a little bit. Hey, you know, whatever, and uh, we'll see if if he stays on there or how cool would that be though if he uh, you know ended up as you know technical director at uh, Braun GP or something. You know, if his oh, relationship yeah, sure, with Ross sure. Braun, you know, I don't know quite where they stand, but uh, could be some interesting developments there. And uh, and then there's another uh, an article on GrandPrix.com about who's going to be fast in 2009, and um, it's basically you know basically what we've been talking about. Um, you know, Sebastian Vettel and the Red Bull um, looks really strong. Mark Webber, luckily, is you know recovered he from his recovered. He's, he's, he's got, up there. He's made a medal now. Yeah, and uh, you know, 
uh, the Renaults are still looking pretty strong. Um, the Toyota's looking pretty well. I mean, it's, it's hard to say right now because it's all yeah, just it, testing. It's, at this point, it's 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 really too early to tell. But we are we are now. It's now starting to get. You can start to taste it on your mouth. That just that F one scent, that F one taste, and it, oh, it's just it's it's going to be a rough couple of weeks. Yes. Well. Ten days, twenty-two hours until uh, Friday practice, and we'll be we'll be right there. So. And in the meantime, what you should do is check out the performance box because the F1 show is supported by the performance box, a GPS-based lap timer, performance meter, and data logger, perfect for any car nut that is you to use at track days, autocrosses, autocrosses, man, or to simply see what your car can do. Shipping worldwide, except for Australia, from VBox USA. For more info and the online store. Go to performancedrift.com. And actually, also now the official timing and scoring device for the D1 Grand Prix USA. That will be cool. actually the Drift Box, which is a, the dr- performance box's big brother. So, yeah, it could be some uh, some interesting other developments going there. But uh, it is it is pretty late for us here. I that's have a separate deal. We're very we're very excited about everything, but we're also getting a little sleepy. Absolutely. So we'll wrap it up there. But uh, thank you for listening. And I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. See ya.